We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight we are here to recap this Senior Bowl. Obviously earlier this week, we dove into a week's worth of Senior Bowl practices on film. That's where I feel like you get the most bang for your buck when it comes to Senior Bowl analysis, coverage of the like. But having said that, the game is worth something. The game means a lot to these evaluators, these talent evaluators. It allows them to see these reps in live in the live flow of football action so let's talk a little bit about some of the players who just stood out to us and the game just literally just finished a few minutes ago we're recording this one right after that um and i'm going to start with a player who stood out to me the most not only because you know he backed up just such a strong 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 week of practices in this game but also because he's a really explosive player that i think could intrigue the giants given dave gettleman's history with draft picks like curtis samuel as somebody who can be a weapon on the offense, and that's running back Michael Carter from North Carolina. Now, he may not be the number one running back to be drafted from that school because they have two really good ones, but man, he has the things, the traits that you look for at the next level, in my mind at least, elusiveness, ability to absorb contact, contact balance, and then just straight up explosion. He has all three of those traits, I feel like, when I watch him play, and he had a really, really impressive game. He's also very, very adept as being a receiver out of the backfield his problem though at least in college was pass protection which sucks because when you're a really good receiver out of the backfield and you can't pass protect you're kind of one-dimensional that's why you saw Javante Williams out there a bunch and I gotta say Javante Williams I've only watched one game studied one game I should say of North Carolina's offense but that dude is so exciting to watch I saw him steal someone's soul like literally reached into the defensive back's body took the man's soul ate it absorbed it and then ran through him he's very exciting but as for Michael Carter he is as well, and I'm not really sure exactly where he'll end up getting drafted. He's about five foot seven, severely undersized, but he plays well behind his pads and does have all that contact balance that you referenced. I think he would be an excellent receiving threat, third down threat. 
seen Naheem Hines comparisons, and I think that's a pretty fair one because of his ability to run routes and catch the ball. Yeah, I was going to say, it is a bit of a crutch when you are this style of running back and you can't pass protect, but you've seen more and more lately with different offensive coordinators and different offenses in the NFL go away from that crutch by just using them on pass routes every single time they're on the field. And it's not really a bad idea. You throw them out in the coverage, you throw them on a pass route, you take a linebacker out with them, or if they're playing zone, it allows you to kind of maybe find a little extra hole in the zone or really just take away the attention of a linebacker and open something else up. So with players like Hines... And I, and I can see that comparison, though I do think Michael Carter is a little bit better in every single way than Hines, at least from an overall athleticism standpoint and explosion standpoint. Now, Hines does things that have made him the successful pro as just the nuances of playing the position and running routes. I haven't studied Carter enough to know if he's on that level, but as far as just natural talent goes, he really looks like somebody who's going to be a weapon in the right offensive coordinator system somebody needs to draft him it's not going to be every team there are some teams that are going to draft there are a few teams that could draft michael carter and he won't do anything year one maybe not even throughout his rookie contract to be honest but if you get him in the right system i really feel like he can be a weapon and he's not going to cost more than what a day late day two probably a day three pick maybe late day two for someone five foot seven 190 yeah i would say it's probably somewhere around that and it's also hard to gauge because there's a lot of skilled position players in this draft that kind of fit a similar mold one that was in this game that ended up catching a touchdown pass was Demetric Felton from UCLA who was a running back at UCLA had I think 20 catches in six games or 22 catches this year he stepped into Joshua Kelly's role after Kelly left and filled in nicely for Chip Kelly and that offense and I think he's somebody who also throughout the entire week of practice was being used as a receiver made himself a lot of money just by showing the ability to run routes sink his hips and explode and out of breaks sell routes with aggressive vertical routes then breaking it off at tight angles so I really liked what Felton was able to do and he's definitely somebody a lot of people are saying Antonio Gibson as a comp Antonio Gibson is so much bigger than him because this dude's like five foot eight 196 pounds or something Antonio Gibson's like 220 pounds yeah he's like a poorer man version I feel like of the guy we were just talking about Michael Carter but I also feel like the Gibson comparison and I heard that on the broadcast as well was was pretty much way off I mean Gibson is a size speed freak and his 220 pound frame is a big reason why he's as effective as he was in his rookie season the few other players that caught our attention that may be on the Giants radar let's start with Amari Rogers wide receiver from Clemson now here's the thing with Rogers I was really impressed with the touchdown catch he made he not only created separation in his route out of the slot, but also was able to hold on to the ball despite getting sandwiched by the safety. But I kind of don't feel like he has much of a fit for the next level for the Giants, at least. I feel like he really does seem like the prototypical slot guy. And that's what he, I don't really see him winning much on the outside personally. And I don't think he's going to be somebody the Giants could really take a risk on to, con- to be someone who can win on the outside. So while I am a little bit intrigued by what I saw from him in this game, and we'll get to what you thought of him, I don't know if he's really a fit for the Giants. I would agree with you, to be honest. I think he's going to be strictly a slot receiver at 5'9", 211 pounds. So he has a compact frame, and you could see that. I mean, he got hit by, what, two guys when he secured that one catch? He jumped over another, showed impressive body control. I really like Amari Rodgers, but I think Sterling Shepard's our guy in the slot, and that's where Sterling Shepard should be. So I don't know if he's going to necessarily be on the Giants radar like someone like Nico Collins or some of these other receivers that we'll probably get into here in a little bit yeah and then let's talk a little bit about one guy who you know stole the practice week and I think whenever we get to this position in our draft coverage it doesn't matter how many 
Players of this position the Giants have drafted recently, it really won't even matter to me where the Giants are as far along as they are with this position group because I will always be interested in this position. I will always be interested in adding talent to this position. I will never feel like the Giants have enough depth at this position because like a bullpen in baseball, you just can't win football games without it. And that's the offensive line. And we're talking about Quinn Miners, the man who stole the show throughout the practice week. There was a video they put up in the Senior Bowl today of him dunking at six foot three, 320 pounds, which just gives you an idea of the kind of lateral explosion he has as a general athlete. But after moving bodies all week at the Senior Bowl during practices, and I know he didn't play in this game, but is he someone who's moving up your radar for the Giants? Because again, I don't feel like coming out of Wisconsin Whitewater, you're going to have to use more than maybe that early day three pick on him, kind of like a Ben Bartsch from last year. And that's potential, it adds up to a potential value when you consider the importance of the offensive line. I would agree, for sure, especially since this, it's kind of nuts when you think about this guy had this meteoric ascension through these three days, but it's just a testament to how hard he trained, because obviously he didn't play all season coming from Division Three. Now, he was dressed, but I don't believe he saw the field whatsoever. I was surprised that he dressed, but he broke his hand. I think it was on in the beginning of Thursday's practice, or it was at the end of Wednesday's practice, and then he pl- practiced throughout the rest of the practice and really stressed to the coaching staff of the Miami Dolphins that he really wanted to play this game. But Brian Flores didn't feel it was smart to put a guy out there with a broken hand who could further that injury by overcompensating for it. But that just speaks to this kid's overall toughness. I, if Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge get a hold of that story, we know he's going to be shooting up their draft boards as well. They love those tough guys. Yeah, I really I really love being a Division three guy myself. I love seeing guys like this yes. ascend and I don't think this one is even like overhyped sometimes you get guys who are a little bit overhyped a little bit like this guy I've been hearing about this guy for over a year because of Owen Reese like I said on the last podcast but seeing what he did in one-on-ones and in team periods he's just incredibly strong at the point of attack really knows how to use his hands is incredibly patient too doesn't overbite in, in those one-on-one situations on pass rushing moves little subtle shimmies or shakes now he's very very patient trusts the process and really knows how to control his body and control that point of attack. He's not necessarily long. That's something I guess you could say on reach blocks. It might hurt him a little bit, but his explosiveness through his hips, like you just pointed to, the dude can dunk, like that is, that's very, very impressive stuff. Yeah, people talked about him earlier in the week, like we mentioned on the last podcast, maybe another Ali Marpet type. I mean, the Bucks are certainly happy they utilized that third round pick on Marpet. And again, it's a guy who, if he had played at Ohio State, and I'm not saying minors is the same thing, I haven't watched this film extensively, but if a guy like Marpet had played at Ohio State or something of that nature, or a school of that nature, he would never have been a third-round pick playing the looking the way he looked. And I feel like there could be value when you find a player like this. And he won't be the only one. I mean, I, these guys are doing film work on a lot of D3 and smaller division school prospects. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, the general manager of the Buccaneers ended up taking him because he yeah, he took he's done this he took marpet he also took the kid from humboldt state alex kappas yep. and he likes taking these sm- these uh small school dudes who go to these all-star events and ball out yep there's no doubt Ryan about that Light. all right who else stood out to you from this game there was a uh, quite a few guys i mean keith taylor it's it's kind of weird because he really had a great game and that's the cornerback out of washington but he gave up two touchdowns, technically. And when you see that, you're like, oh, that's terrible. One was just a quick slant to Josh Palmer right off the line of scrimmage on, like, the two-yard line. And the other one was kind of a back-shoulder throw to Trevon Grimes that might not have actually been caught. You couldn't really tell if he secured the pass. 
But outside of those two things, and I know there's going to be a lot of Kevin King comparisons because they're both long cornerbacks out of Washington, and we all know Kevin King likes to give up some touchdowns and some plays like that, but this kid has much better coverage skills than Kevin King. He actually plays pretty controlled for a bigger body dude. He's rather long and all throughout this specific game, he was on top of basically every vertical route and wasn't biting on any of the fakes. I thought he played with a ton of patience and discipline for a cornerback and got through the catch point, forced that one interception that ended up going to the pit safety. But the only reason that interception happened was because he was all over the break of the route, got his hand in there and forced the ball to pop in the air. So I really think Keith Taylor had a pretty good game despite the fact that he ended up giving up those touchdowns. Well, one touchdown for sure. The other one was kind of questionable yeah the other one if there was a replay review if they cared if this game had more meaning to it I don't know if that would have been considered a catch I will say this of all the players that went into this game before this week that you know based on where I was viewing them before the actual game and just from the practice week Taylor's the one who jumped onto my radar most of any of these players we've talked about some of the other players before because they really sit out in practice week but Taylor really does look pretty smooth out there and when I watch a really long cornerback like that have that much control you really don't expect it when they're usually that long you usually expect them either to a be able to give up the deep vertical or just not be able to react quickly underneath to underneath stuff He looks like somebody who could actually be a really good fit for what Patrick Graham did in 2020. Now, we don't know if that's going to change with different personnel around them, but with how much zone they ran in 2020, and we've seen a lot of corners come from Washington who are good in zone coverage, and obviously Kevin King has not had the best end to his rookie contract with the Packers, and he hasn't been great overall, but he's not the only corner to come out there. Byron Murphy's done a pretty good job there in Arizona, and he's still young early on in his career, and so I feel like that's a not DBU over there in Washington, but they're definitely doing a good job teaching those defensive backs. Absolutely. And they also have Elijah Molden coming out in this draft. He's more of a slot defender, yes. but he's definitely a very impressive player in his own right. But there's a the defensive lineman that we talked about on the last podcast, the two-lane kid, Cameron Sample. He kept getting pressure in this game, sometimes around the edge, bending the edge. Now, he's not like obviously flexible like a Quincy Roche type of guy because he's 274 pounds, six foot two played a lot of four tech and those kind of they, they ran like th- like an odd front eagle type of front which is two four techniques and then the nose and he was one of those four techniques to the field side every time because he's athletic he chased ian book down on one of these plays and ian book had an angle and it just got cut off by him so his athletic ability and ability to cover ground really kind of suited him in this entire event and it definitely was showcased in the game I think the issue with Sample will be oh what is he he's kind of a tweener I think he's going to be a good fit for a 4-3-3 technique one gap type of system but I think he might get slapped with that tweener uh, just moniker that kind of like derails people sometimes I actually like him though man I really do for a day three type of pick because he's really really quick off the snap has very very violent and heavy hands and he was disruptive throughout the entire week of practice and then did it again in the game yeah and if we can assume that based on his track record, his history as a general manager, everything he's done and said he's going to do since taking over as the Giants general manager, that if Dave Gettleman does let either Dalvin Tomlinson or Leonard Williams walk, or both potentially, I doubt that's going to happen, but if either one walks, he's going to be in the market for another interior defensive lineman. He doesn't want to go into this season, and he's not going to rely on the Austin Johnsons and free agency, although I think that is a viable route, and teams have taken that route. The wise teams have dove into the depth of the position and understood the lack of scarcity of the position and have capitalized on it, I think he'll be looking at it. Now, I hope it's a day three collection, obviously not day two or day one. They 
do not cannot afford to use a day one or day two pick on an interior defensive lineman. But having said that, Cameron Samples now a guy who's going to be on my radar. Cameron Sample, Tulane, another small school guy. These small school guys are intriguing, especially in positions we know the Giants are interested in. So far, we've gone over Michael Carter, the running back from North Carolina. Offensive weapon, I like to put him as. Somebody who, if you can curtail, if you can get him in front of the right offensive coordinator, again, like I said, with a quarterback who's good at throwing to the receivers, I'm sorry, to running backs out of the backfield, I think he can be a really, really good player for for whoever drafts him. We've talked a little bit about Quinn Miners, the interior offensive lineman from Wisconsin Whitewater, the guy who stole the show this week, another guy we're interested with the Giants, Cameron Sample, the interior defensive lineman from Tulane. Who else do you want to touch on right now, Nick? I think for the Giants specifically, a name to remember is Quincy Roche from Miami. Now, they also have Gregory Rousseau, and they have Jalen Phillips. Now, they all didn't play at the same time. Roche was a transfer from Temple. Jalen Phillips was a transfer from UCLA, who also briefly retired because of concussion, and then Roche opted out of the 2020 season. But in 2020, the Hurricanes had Roche and Jalen Phillips, and I love both of those players. I really do. I think Roche would be a great fit with Patrick Graham. I think he would also fit with 4-3 base teams if we're going to do those whole things, but... He's just incredibly quick off the snap, knows how to get up the arc, can flip his hips into the pocket, bend through contact. I think I went over him pretty extensively on the last podcast, but I really like what he was able to do down there in Mobile and how he uses his hands and just that speed and that burst and that ability to win one-on-ones. It's not a finished product quite yet. I think he's solid against the run, but he could stand to get a little bit better in that area. But I love his speed burst and just overall explosive nature. Yeah, it's really interesting when you look at that Miami group of edge rushers, Quincy Roche, Gregory Rousseau, Jalen Phillips. The Giants and many teams are going to be interested in these three. Now, they're all going to probably go different spots of the draft. But I think as we talked about on the last podcast, and it might have been the last one or the one before, we really like the value at 40 for the for the edge guys we're not we're not so sure about 11 the giants can afford to go edge there rousseau we'll get to him we're going to do an individual podcast and maybe eventually we're going to get to all three i assume but rousseau is coming up next as far as those go i think after discussing it with you i'm probably a little higher on the idea of taking rousseau than you but i think we're both as we'll both get to on that podcast not to spoiler it i don't think either of us think we'd be too comfortable taking him at 11 as anything more than a gamble on upside which he definitely in my opinion has a ton of now, having said that, you look at 40, a guy like Quincy Roche, who's not getting the same kind of hype as Rousseau, who's not really even getting the same kind of hype as Phillips. And that might be a player who's sitting there on the board, and the Giants can really just get as a serious value at that spot. So again, I like what you said, Quincy Roche, edge from Miami, someone we will be keeping an eye on moving forward. Yeah, I really liked what he was able to do. And then the linebacker from Ohio State, Baron Browning. Now, reasons I like him is because he has he's six foot three, two hundred and forty one pounds. You see that and you're like, oh dude, this is like an old school linebacker from the nineteen nineties, can't cover. No. This dude can cover. He has that kind of athletic upside and he also rushes the passer. So that seems like all of that fits in and just points to a Patrick Graham type of system for somebody to maximize this type of player. Now, with Baron Browning in this specific draft, I'm not 100% certain where he'll go, but if he's there at the end of round three and even in round four, which I feel like it won't happen, I think he'll be before that, but, but if he's there, say, at the beginning of round four, day three, I think that would be an excellent selection for the New York Giants for somebody to even replace Tay Crowder or just to compete with Tay Crowder. Do I think the Giants will go in that direction? Not necessarily because the Giants selected several linebackers last year that they seem to be high on, but I do think Browning would fit in well with Patrick Graham. Yeah, and like you said, 
underrated upside when it comes to Browning's ability to rush the passer. He had five sacks during the 2019 season, only one sack during the abbreviated 2020. Ohio State, remember, didn't play that many games, something Davo Sweeney made sure everyone found out <laughs> and knew about. But two passes, three passes defense over the last two seasons, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. He's an active player, and his length is going to be intriguing. Remember, the Giants just selected Cam Brown in the last draft. That gives you an idea of the type of players they're looking at. Length, athleticism, that's going to be really important in Patrick Graham's system at the second level. So he's someone who I'm also definitely keeping an eye on for the Giants as we move forward through this process. Any other players stand out to you throughout this game? Throughout the week and the game? Yeah. I would say there's Ogundiji, who we went over during the podcast. He has 35 and one-fourth inch arms. This is the edge from Notre Dame. 256 pounds, six foot four, an 85 and three eighth inch wingspan. We talk about length. Now, I watched his film and I, I did an evaluation of uh, Obusu Koromoa and Dalen Hayes, Dalen Hayes, who I like as well. And I didn't come away overly intrigued with Ogun DG on the film. But out of the Senior Bowl, man, he really was winning a lot of those one on ones. He was disruptive in the team periods. And again, in this game, he also had a half sack beating. I don't remember the tackle, beating a tackle around the edge. So he's showing speed up the arc. He's showing a solid first, second, third step. But the way he uses his hands are very, very crafty. He has counter moves and he has a pass rush plan. I think with that length and the fact that he might be a day three selection or maybe a late day two, that leads me to be like, I would definitely be willing to take a shot on somebody like that, an edge player with that kind of length in this Patrick Graham system. The fact that he put all of this on tape, during the senior bowl makes me want to dive back into his film too that's yeah, a great point because as we discussed last year during draft season me and nick are both on board with the same point and that's when you get to day three when it comes to the edge guys or anyone you're projecting to contribute at some point as a pass rusher for a football team you want to bet on athleticism you want to bet on length you want to bet bet in my mind at least more on tools and everything else especially if there's a chance that this guy was used in a different you know maybe not in the best way by the coaching staff at Notre Dame. I'm not saying this is the case. I haven't dove in deep into his film, but when you see a guy who has those kind of natural tools and who stands out at the Senior Bowl week when everything's on the line, it's definitely intriguing. So I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. I'll let Nick do that one more time just for anyone who does want to follow along and remember who we're talking about. <laughs> Added to combo, Ogundiji. There you go. Ogundiji. I can get on board with that. So Ogundiji, the edge out of Notre Dame. I want to talk to you about another edge who I thought had a really nice move to convert a sack in this game. And that's Patrick Jones, who we talked about struggling a bit during the Senior Bowl week. I thought he was, he's six foot, by the way, he's got really good frame and length. He's six foot four, 264. And he's someone who at the Senior Bowl, again, not the greatest practice week, then came in, had a really nice inside move, really quick to get that sack and then convert it in this game. So I'm a little bit intrigued by him. He's from Pitt, not really the (laughs) edge factory over there at Pitt, but they did have Aaron Donald. So it's not like they don't have any defensive linemen or any pass rushers to ever come out of there. And he racked up nine sacks this year in just 11 games after eight and a half the season before in 11 games. So 17 and a half conversion sacks converted over his last 22 games. The numbers are impressive. The numbers are impressive, and I've been wanting to get to his film. I watched Rashad Weaver early on in the draft process, and I didn't really pay attention to Patrick Jones, but I want to dive back in. And I like Weaver a lot. I think he's very crafty with his hands as well. Athletically, I don't know uh, the upside quite there, but I think he's going to be a good football player, and that's sometimes who you want to select. But as for Patrick Jones, I was a little disappointed through the week of practice because I heard so many great things about him, and he didn't look all that great in the one-on-ones, wasn't winning around the edge. 
found himself on the ground far too often, but that was a really nice inside counter move that was displayed during the game. But definitely, I'm still intrigued by him. And in this edge class that I feel like there's a lot of talent, he's one person I think that we should consider a little bit later on, definitely not in like the fifth, sixth, or seventh round, but maybe in the fourth round or maybe even the third. But I have to get to his film. But I'm glad that he was able to get that sack in the game because I, I wasn't in love with what he did during practice. Yeah, no, he definitely struggled during the practice week. That was well televised, but I do think that he did show up a little bit. How about at the receiver position? We talked a little bit earlier about Amari Rodgers. We don't really see him as a fit for the Giants. Anyone just from this game and during the whole week that you see at the receiver position who might end up being a nice fit for the Giants? We went over it on the podcast before. Nico Collins, now I don't believe he played in this game because I didn't see him at all, but I mean, he just has the exact frame that we're looking for with a prototypical X type of receiver, six foot four, two fifteen, and throughout the entire week of drills, he was really, really athletic. That's something that I questioned just because I didn't watch a ton of Michigan film back from twenty nineteen, or at least I didn't remember him all that well. But I was like, he's a big body receiver, but can he separate? What can he do athletically? And he didn't show any issues doing that throughout practice. So Nico Collins would be the number one guy that I think I would pay attention to out of these bigger body receivers. And then just in the game alone, Des Fitzpatrick, I know he had one drop, but he was the number one target basically for the national team the entire game it seemed like especially in the first half he's six foot two 202 pounds and he was coming back to the football making a lot of contested catch situations looking the ball into his hand securing it other than that one drop but he seemed like a reliable receiving target and he had a solid week of practice as well yeah someone i have an eye on and i know he didn't have the best game because he had a big time drop but he did also have a really really nice adjustment on a deep ball catch that stood out to me so for me i've always been a big believer and i don't focus too much on drops personally i don't think they're as consequential as some people like to say i think it's one of the most overrated stats at the wide receiver position but when i see someone who has the body control to adjust to in the air make a catch that's difficult for anyone and that's frank darby out of arizona state he is only six foot just under six foot one he plays bigger than that he really plays to me looks to me his body he's got a long lengthy body and i love his story man he comes from jersey city the streets of jersey um and he talked about how he looks at like every day as a blessing he says other people from where he's from would want to be in the spot that he's in he really understands you know what kind of position he's in to make an impact and he didn't have (coughs) excuse me the best stats or anything of that like at Arizona State he wasn't a stat sheet filler but as somebody who's going to be drafted on day three probably late day three he's someone who intrigued me I liked I liked what I saw from him not only you know when I was watching the broadcast of practices during the week on ESPNU but also on that big catch he made in the game I love his feet man they're very very quick and you're right his story is pretty awesome to be honest just coming from Jersey City since uh we're all Jersey people here at least Dan and I are (laughs) but The thing about him that's kind of intriguing is he was set up for this 2020 season, his senior season, to be that breakout Arizona State type of guy because Nikhil Harry was drafted first round 2018, 2019 first round was Brendan Ayuk. So 2020, Frank Darby was ready to break out, but he only played in two games. Pac-12 didn't play that much. He only had six catches and one touchdown for 46 yards. But during 2019, 31 catches, 612 yards, 19.9 average i mean this is the pack 12 and eight touchdowns so he was able to find the end zone back in 2019 and i didn't really know much about him until this event but you're right man especially on that third day of practice when Dwayne eskridge and all those other receivers tylen wallace they all missed practice the kid from notre dame there was like four receivers that missed so he earned a lot of reps and he made the most of them and really showed up and reportedly 
He has like a great personality. It's infectious, which is not the best vocabulary word to use in 2020, 2021. But he has an infectious personality that seems to give positive vibes off to his teammates. So I, I also really do agree with you there. I think it's pretty solid. Yeah, I think he could be an interesting late guy. I wouldn't, I'm not going to view him as kind of that big yards per catch threat, even though he was at the collegiate level. He averaged 19.9 yards per catch, 20 and 26 in his three seasons before this one. But I do kind of believe if you just step onto a field in the Pac-10 and put your helmet on, you're already averaging 15.5 yards per catch. (laughs) So he's not that guy, but I think he can be an interesting outside threat for the Giants. They really need to take swings in my mind on potential outside receivers because on this current roster, I want to pencil in Sterling Shepard as a slot. I don't want them to have to kind of have another season where Sterling Shepard is splitting reps and playing mostly on the outside. To optimize this offense, they need to get Sterling Shepard in the slot and they need to lean on 11 personnel. And in order to do that, they need more bodies on the outside. Yes, it'll be great to go out and get an Allen Robinson. Yes, it'll be great to go out and get a Jamar Chase or a Jalen Waddle or a Devontae Smith at 11. But it'll be better to take more chances and more swings there, especially in the later rounds. And again, they might need more picks. They might find a way to have to do that. But injuries can always happen at the wide receiver position. So you need to have, they need to go into the season with more bodies on the outside. Looks like it's just about confirmed that the Giants are going to draft Kellen Mond because he won the MVP of the Senior Bowl. Yes, the new MVP of the Senior Bowl, Kellen Mond, a late-round pick for the Giants now. They, they're they going to fill end up filling the roster with Senior Bowl MVPs at the quarterback position. They can't um, help themselves. No, they, hopefully, I mean, Mond's an interesting guy. I don't think he's the worst prospect to take a swing on late. I, I, I wouldn't. He's kind of intriguing a little bit. I wouldn't disagree with you. I didn't there. love what I saw from Newman, who got a lot of hype during the week. I don't know. I mean, he's got tools, but I didn't. I thought his pocket awareness was a little was a little. I, I would say behind behind the behind the eight ball right now. I would agree with that yeah. too. Yeah, definitely. And throughout practice, he threw, especially on that Thursday practice, he threw a couple interceptions that Richie Grant was the beneficiary of. Mm. And Richie Grant, I mean, he he didn't really flash in his game. Daniel Jeremiah brought him up during the telecast, but. Throughout practice and just throughout his entire college career, I, I really, really like him. He's a safety at a UCF, so I don't really see the Giants going in that direction, but I think he's going to be a good football player in the NFL. Yeah, safety might be the one position we can pencil in the Giants. We'll certainly not select in this draft class. Kind of reminds me a little bit. I'm not really big on comparisons, but a little bit of Marcus May from Florida. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I love Mar- May coming out. May played a little bit more in the slot, I think, than, uh, than Grant did, but I liked May coming out of that draft as well. No doubt. Anyone else you want to touch on before we wrap up the Senior Bowl podcast recap here? It's kind of difficult to evaluate the offensive line from this game just on the telecast, but that American offensive line with all the big boys didn't seem like they were really generating too much push early on in that game. I mean, the national team jumped out to a a 13-0 lead, I think it was, and then it was pretty exciting because Matt Rule gave them that pep talk at halftime, and they all came out, and then... (laughs) And it was a close game again, and they took the lead. I think it was 16-13, to 13, and then the American team took the lead again, and then they ended up scoring a touchdown, the national team, to make it 27-24, to 24, which is what it ended at. It ended up being a three-point game, even though it was kind of a late and maybe not really a touchdown, but it was a late <laughs> touchdown to uh, the kid from Florida, not Kadarius Tony, who I didn't see out there at all. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, we'll wrap up there. We'll wrap up by breaking down a few of the recent iTunes reviews we got and ratings. So thank you to everyone who's taken the time to help our podcast grow. The best way you can help us grow, 
I'll say it every podcast. I'll say it then. I'll say it now. I'll say it again. I don't care how many times I say it. Hopefully, you don't get sick of me saying it. And if you do, let us know because it's never stopped anyone before from letting me know things they don't like that I do on Twitter or in regular life. But I will ask you to take the time to log on to your iTunes account, check out our show, hit the subscribe button on Big Blue Banter, make sure eat when you listen to every episode, you don't just hit play, you hit download, and then give us that rating and review. So you can write in a review if you want, or you can just give us a five-star rating and write nothing. We prefer the ones that write in. So thank you to Bobiddy, Bo <laughs> I don't know if I can get Bobiddy, Bobiddy69, who gave us a five-star review, excellent name, I'm sorry I couldn't pronounce that great. Road to 500 reviews, he said. Can't wait for off-season draft content to commence. Great pod, better people, I think. <laughs> I like that review. That's a great one. That's one of the best ones yet. And we are getting close to that road to 500. We're at 468. We need 32 more reviews from you fine folks to get to 500. Hog Molly Mike said, serious weapons. Hey, guys, great podcast. I really enjoy listening to smart people talking about football. Keep up the good work. I have a question. What is Evan Ingram's real trade value? A third or fourth? And if you could get that, wouldn't it make sense if you can sign one of the top tier free agent wide receivers, then draft Kyle Pitts? Now Jones has serious weapons. You don't have to worry about paying Ingram because Pitts is under a rookie deal for five years. Thanks, Mike P37. I wonder what his actual trade value is because I, I can't gauge it. I don't think it would be a third round pick. I would think it would be like a fifth or something like that at best, maybe a fifth and a seventh. I mean, he's going into his last year, and I know he's valuable, but he also is somewhat of a liability in terms of catching the football and I think teams will know the Giants aren't going to sign this guy and they could just sign him the next year so I don't think you'd be garnering a third yeah I think you got to remember one Bill O'Brien's no longer general manager in the NFL so you, ah, can't, darn it. you can't fleece him um Dan Snyder's not making moves over there in Washington you can't fleece him but I will say this the trade market for Evan Ingram has almost certainly dried up if you remember back to a few years ago when Landon Collins was an impending free agent and the Giants kind of tipped off they weren't going to re-sign him by their actions. They floated him on the market and although Matt Miller falsely reported that they were offered a third round pick which was refuted by multiple sources after that, all they got was a fourth round pick offer for him. So if all they got for a fourth round pick offer for for landing, or I'm sorry, if all they got was a fourth round pick offer for landing Collins just one year, I believe it was two years removed from what should have been a defensive player of the year campaign. If you compare his numbers in that 2016 season, Landon Collins, to Troy Palomalo when he won defensive player of the year, Collins had better stats across the board, interceptions, forced fumbles, tackles, sacks, across the board, he had better numbers. So at that point, you have to look at Ingram as best you can get as a fifth rounder. Now, having said that, I'm at the point, Mike, where I would take a fifth round pick for Evan Ingram. One, he's only got one year left on his Giants contract, this this rookie fifth year option they picked up, which is pretty expensive, honestly, for what Evan Ingram contributes to a football game and to a football team. Two, I just am at the point where I'd rather see Caden Smith on the field if there's only going to be one tight end. And I'm, oh, I'm moving very, very far away from this heavy 12 and 13 personnel offense the Giants used last season. I think a big culprit for why their offense was so stagnant was because they were in 12 and 13 so often. It's an idea. It's a decent idea, I guess, if you have like Lamar Jackson and you can run zone read and you can have a quarterback running the ball 10, 15 times a game. But in today's NFL, you got to have the field a little more open. When you bog down into 12 and 13, it's tough, especially when one of those tight ends is Evan Ingram, who's lining up in line for whatever reason instead of detached and not doing an excellent job at all times blocking. So at this point, I would take a fifth. I don't think that's going to be the case. Now, to answer the second part of your question, Mike, 
I actually wouldn't go in the direction of signings up top tier free agent wide receiver like Allen Robinson and drafting Kyle Pitts. I think that's putting way too many eggs in the skill player basket. Remember, how did the Giants get into the mess that they were in in 2018? It's because Jerry Reese continued to pour key assets and a lot of assets into the flashy skill players he built from the outside in. Dave Gettleman, to his credit, because I don't have many things to credit this guy for, he's not done a good job if you really break it down. But to his credit, he has an inside-out roster-building approach, so he has gone the opposite of that direction. So at most for me this offseason, I want them to do one big swing at skill player position. I don't want them loading in multiple assets there because they still got to get a corner. They still got to get at least one edge. They still got to get somebody to shut that train down from going off every time we record. And they still also have to get an off-ball linebacker. They could use an inline tight end. They can honestly use another tackle. There's positions that are more important than flowing all your assets into skill players. So that would be my take on that, Mike. I think an interesting point could be brought up from Mike's question, though, and that's if you're going to maximize Daniel Jones, which has got to be priority number one right now for Dave Gettleman, one way to do that is to invest in the free agent wide receiver and draft a skilled position player. It's one way to do it. It's the way that Jerry Reese tried to do it with Eli. Mm-hmm. But I think with Eli, it, I think Jones will be a similar player in my mind to Eli that it will always have been the better option to invest in the offensive line and the pass protection than it would be to invest in the skill players. Like Eli, I think Jones can make things happen with with a lesser group of skill players and an unbelievable offensive line rather than an unbelievable group of skill players and a lesser offensive line, especially with what we've seen from Jones so far in the sense that, you know, at times he hasn't had the best pocket awareness. At times he hasn't had the best mental processing. So I think ultimately, and, and, and to the latter point there, it is interesting because if you're not the best mental, best best at processing post-snap, it might actually benefit you to have receivers who can win quick one-on-one. But at the same time, again, there are other reasons why it's risky to build from the outside in. One, injuries. Two, uh, the fact that, you know, just like the bullpen in baseball, I really am of the belief if you don't have a short offensive line, you just have no shot. Yeah, um, and I, I would say, though, the I wouldn't say it's built quite yet because I agree outside in is definitely the approach because you need to secure that inside right. inside out. Yeah, inside yeah. out, yes, because you need that right tackle but there has been a lot of assets poured into that position and Matt Parrott if they do believe that he is that right tackle then I could see them going in that direction I don't know if it's it's going to be the course of action but I wouldn't be shocked either oh I'm not saying I would be surprised if they go in that direction at all I'm just saying it wouldn't be the direction I would go and I would never Mm -hmm. sign Allen Robinson and draft Kyle Pitts if that makes any sense no no it makes plenty of sense yeah there's just that they have they still have a lot of long way to go on this roster I know you know some Giants fans would lead you to believe that they don't even though they've won six games last year, somehow it was viewed as a massive success. But they got a lot of holes to fill, and we want this roster to get better, and lo- not just short-term, but long-term. And long-term, they need to invest in the right positions if they want to be a strong, healthy roster long-term. Anyway, that's all we have for today's show. Quick recap of the Senior Bowl game. Stay tuned on the Big Blue Banter podcast this week. We've got a lot more coming your way. We are, the next thing you'll probably hear from us will be a breakdown of Gregory Rousseau. We've dove into some of his film, and we're going to let you know what we think about Rousseau, the highly touted edge prospect, lengthy, explosive, raw, toolsy, former wide receiver and safety, I should say. That's right, Gregory Rousseau. So stay tuned. Later this week, we'll get to him. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.